Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre and the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for God's Resistance Podcasts on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you'll find other content on there as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We are in a time of hair-trigger emotions. It seems almost impossible to speak a word and to not have somebody be offended by what we say, whether it be, uh, I mean, right now it's politically, it's uh, what we think is right for the country, what we think is right for our local town or city, what we think is right for our state. There's many of those things. And then, of course, that goes over into the religious. People are very hair triggered at the moment. There's the cry of equality. We look at things and we think it's this is not just this person has more money than this person, or maybe they can't get a get a job. They don't have a chance. All these different thoughts. There's no equality. It's all inequality, or the cry of injustice, uh, or the cry for justice, and the cry for our rights. Now, I'm not negating any of these things. There may be some worthy causes. There may be some worthy things that need to be upheld, rights or justice. Those there there are worthy things, but. What we're, are, what we're after is, what does God think? What does God say about these issues? Well, we are picking up again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, where Jesus speaks about these things. He says in Matthew 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, I've said this with all of these sayings of Jesus, but he says, you have heard, or it has been said, some some kind of phrase like that. Jesus is referencing the Jewish teachers, the ones that were supposed to be teaching people what the law of God was. He's referencing these people, and also it helps for us to, to realize where did these Jewish rabbis even get their thoughts on these issues and so we go back to the Old Testament. So remember, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There's a few places in the Old Testament that we can look to, uh, and this is what Jesus is referencing, and this is what the rabbis would have taken their teachings from. So let's look in Exodus 21, 22 through 25. It says there, when men strive together, 
and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. Here we can find a little bit of what Jesus said, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Let's look in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 through 20. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, shall it be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Okay, so there's a lot of this that's being said here. We want to understand what is the intent here. And I believe Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 through 21 help us to understand the intent of some of these laws. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days." The judges shall inquire or ask questions diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand and foot for foot. So here's the Old Testament passages that Jesus would reference here and that also the rabbis had referenced and taught the people. We want to understand what was the intent? What was the intent of the Old Testament law? I think it's pretty plain from Deuteronomy that the intent was for the, this was laws for the civil government. It was the government. You were to be tried by a judge and then if there were punishments to be made, they were executed then by the civil government. The punishment, as we can uh, deduce here from Deuteronomy chapter 19, was for the cause of public justice. What did he say? Do this so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. In other words, you don't have a... The, the, the punishment needs to happen. Why? Two reasons, I believe, that are evidenced here. First, to discourage perpetrators, and perpetrators are the people that have done the crimes. To discourage the people who have done the crimes from doing another crime, that is, if the crime that they had done did not warrant the death penalty. So if it didn't warn the death, warrant the death penalty, then it was to discourage them from doing that crime again and to make right whatever wrong they've done. If it was for the death penalty and they were executed, um, even if they weren't executed, any crime uh, or any punishment towards a crime also served the purpose of discouraging the people that were under that civil government 
from doing the same crimes. In other words, it was for not only remedial for a person, but also for public justice to make people fear to do those things that were wrong. That is the intent, uh, particularly about here what Jesus was telling the people. You've heard that it's been said. So when we look in the heart of God, I think we oftentimes have this fluffy picture of who God is. God is love, and God is very merciful. It says that mercy rejoices against judgment in the heart of God. However, we can see that law and order are at the very heart of God. Confusion and chaos are the heart of the devil himself. God is a very fair, just God. He's also merciful. He's disposed to give mercy. If he can do that without the destruction of his government, he will do it. So here we have eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's life for life. Whatever it is, that is the punishment for the crime in order to dissuade somebody from doing that same crime again in order to keep law and order in public justice. I think any of us realize that that is exactly what needs to happen in our present day, because where there is no punishment for evil, there is emboldenment for uh, people to continue to do evil because there's no fear of consequence. We realize that in just civil society, that that is useful and helpful. And it's it is that way because it is embedded in the very fabric of existence because God the creator has made people and he has instituted government for these particular reasons. The problem that Jesus is facing here is not to then say that civil government has no place and it's wrong and these things shouldn't happen. But the problem that Jesus was addressing that was the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious elite, the scholars of the religious day, and as a result, because of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the common people interpreted this law so as to make personal vengeance acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, they were saying, it's okay for me to take this personal vengeance if somebody has done this wrong to me. So if, if somebody punches me in the face, I'll just punch him in the face right back. If somebody takes my family member's life, then it's okay for me to go take their life. This is what had happened. This is how they were trying to interpret God's law. And Jesus had a problem with that. The problem with that, I think we can even just understand it from a philosophical standpoint. The problem with that is, that's a terrible influence, if that's what you believe, because that leads to unrestrained passion and lawlessness. Think about it. If something terrible happens to you and your emotions are all tied up in what has happened, you oftentimes can act very irrationally. But you hear somebody say like, man, just just go cool off for a little while. Go take a walk. Go do something. You know, sleep on it. You've heard those terms before. Why is that the case? Because oftentimes knee-jerk reactions can take place when if we just had a little bit of space, we had a little bit of time for our emotions to subside, we could act more rationally and justly about things. Because oftentimes our emotions can make us act in a way, if we're not careful, make us act in a way that later we would regret. So it is a terrible influence to interpret what God had said in the Old Testament so that we can then take personal vengeance. That's a terrible influence. It leads to unrestrained passion and lawlessness, and it gives vent 
to Jesus' previously condemned murderous anger that he spoke about here in the the Sermon on the Mount. He said that if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're already guilty of murder. You've heard that it's that it's been said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if you're angry without a cause, you're guilty of murder already. So you see, Jesus is against that personal vengeance because it is a poison in the soul and causes great evil to be done if that were the interpretation of the law. So Jesus says, you have heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now we'll move on. Now Jesus, again, like he's been doing in the entire Sermon on the Mount, is going to then speak the prescription, the um, fix for the ill-believed doctrine of their day. He says, but, but I say unto you, Jesus always taking the authority here in the Sermon on the Mount, taking the authority from the religious elites and their false interpretations and bringing it back to the place that it needs to. I say unto you, and here's what he says, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's verse 39. Wow. That's hard to swallow in our present day. That's hard to swallow in a divisive time. What are we supposed to do with that? What does that even mean? There's so many implications here. What do I do with this? Jesus is not here asking governments to act like this. That's the first thing we need to understand because that was the original intent of the law for civil government, the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is not here condemning the actions of civil government towards crime. Jesus isn't condemning law and order. We're told in Romans 13, 1 through 7, that that God has instituted civil government. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, listen to this, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He can execute punishment, for he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So Jesus cannot be talking about or against civil government acting in these ways. We find that God's instituted civil government, and he has made punishments according to the law to punish the evildoer, to reward the good. Those civil authorities don't bear the sword in vain, says the scripture. It's also important for us to realize that Jesus does not here condemn self-defense. Our defense or the defense of helpless. He doesn't condemn self-defense or defense of the helpless. Self-defense is a God-given instinct of self-preservation. You can have self-defense without having some evil wrong inside of your heart. 
So if somebody is harming you, it is natural that you are going to try and stop whatever damage is being done to you. But that doesn't mean that you hate the person and want to murder them. You are solely protecting your very life. Same thing if your family was in danger. You as a father or as a mother aren't going to sit by and watch somebody abuse your child. You would go there and rescue them. You would save them. And if if it needed to happen, you would do damage to whomever it is that is doing harm to the disadvantaged. Or if you saw a woman being taken advantage of, you would want to save her out of that situation, stop the evil that's going on. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is not against that. The problem is something else. Jesus is instructing here against, quote unquote, liberty of personal vengeance, because that was the ill that was going on. Doesn't have a problem against government executing punishment for evildoers. Doesn't have a problem with self-defense if you are trying to get out of a situation where you are in bodily harm. The problem that he has is that personal vengeance. In other words, the motive of revenge in the heart. Self-preservation is an instinct, and it can be free of revenge. The problem here is sometimes when somebody does us wrong, there's this rankling inside where we want to do that person harm, not for the sole cause of self-preservation or that which is right, but because we've been crossed. Because I don't, I don't let somebody treat me like that. That's disrespectful. They shouldn't treat me like that. That's the problem that Jesus is after. Instead of paying someone back, Jesus says to do something differently. Respond with generosity, with the intent of leading this other person to repentance. He said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If somebody's trying to instigate a fight, don't join in a fight with them, is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. Instead, give way to them. You're going to disarm the whole situation but if you start, you know, picking up and want to fight them back, you're going to make a fight on your hands. John Wesley, it was told of him that there was a man who was incited by another person that didn't like John Wesley to go and take care of John Wesley. So this big man, I think he was a coal miner, he saw John Wesley and he jumped on his back in the middle of a town or city, pushed him onto the ground into a pile or a, a sloppy mud in the, in, in the road there. And John Wesley could have acted in many different ways. He could have just fought back at the man. But instead, what John Wesley did was, he said, now, chap, you've pushed me down on the ground. Reach down and give me your hand and pull this old man up. And when, they, when he pulled him up, he said, now you need to help me and be my friend. It so disarmed the man, so confused him, really. But he ended up leading this man who just pushed him down into the mud to Christ. And that man became one of his best supporters. He repaid evil with good. Nowadays, it's more common that if somebody does that to him, you just punch him right back. But Jesus said, no, 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 no personal vengeance. He doesn't want personal vengeance. So we'll move on to the verse number 40. If anyone would sue you, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This, Some of these thoughts, especially in Christendom, they make it sound like you can't ever go to court of law. That is not true. There is a problem here, though, that Jesus is trying to deal with. Um, I believe this was a commentator. I wish I had made note of it, but I didn't. 
He says, yet this does not command or advise us to allow a man persistently to assail our well-being without prevention or reparation. It does not apply to cases where a ruffian would seize our valuable property, violate chastity, endanger or take life. If possible, reform and benefit an assailant. If that cannot be, then for the good of society, bring him to legal justice. If his assault be too sudden, defend yourself with the least harm possible to him. If instantly necessary, it is your right, inasmuch as he is a criminal, to save yourself by damage to him. All this is consistent with the law of love. Even this, where if somebody's suing you, you know, for a tunic or something, Basically, the idea is here, don't be petty. Don't don't just be petty. There, there's people that somebody gets crossed, I'm going to sue them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take them for all they're worth over small, petty, insignificant things. It's better to bear a small wrong and diffuse a situation than to bring it the, somebody into law to the fullest extent and cause more animosity there. It's better for everybody involved, including yourself. When you have that attitude that they cross me and I got to take them to law and make them pay, there's already the seed of murder in the heart and it's wrong. So instead of doing that, show the one who would unjustly sue you confusion of giving them even more than what they asked. Don't give the one who picks a fight something to fight about. And that's what's going on. This person wants to run you dry. What fun is it if at that point you just comply and just dump everything in their laps? I do want to say that through all these principles that we're finding here, what Jesus is saying, we have to keep in mind the entirety of Scripture, because there's some Scriptures that seem to almost speak in a way that is uh, at odds or tension with these. We have to balance all these things out together. What do I mean by that? There may be times where for the sake of highest good, it is your bounden duty to go to the court of law over a certain circumstance or situation. I couldn't delineate to you what all that means, but Jesus is again speaking about personal vengeance. If this is what's going on in your heart, here is danger. He said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What he's referencing here is there was a law that came from the Persians and the Romans had adopted it. What it was, was the Romans had mail couriers. They were stationed at posts to carry messages. It was kind of, they didn't have United States Postal Service. So they had to pass messages on in a timely and, and you know decent manner. So what they would do is they'd have these people set up at different posts. And they had a law that if they needed any help in some way, maybe they needed food, their horse was tired, or they needed a carriage, they could seize it from a citizen of the government and take it for themselves. They could demand it. Now that seems infuriating. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that if that happens to you, don't become sour and fight them, but exceed their expectations and show them a different spirit. If they beg for you to go one mile, go with them two miles, help them out, you know, uh, uh, disarm them again. And I, again, I have to, you have to take this into context that what he is speaking about here is about personal relations with people. This does not mean that if we feel like perhaps uh, the government is going in a wrong direction, we as citizens of the United States have a right to voice our opinion, have a right to vote. We have certain unalienable rights given to us by our governmental constitution. So there's things in there where we can uh, work under the law and under the constitution. But as far as personal relations are concerned, you're trying to win this soul to Christ. We've got to keep that in our perspective. Notice it's the relations between two people. Don't forget that. Then he says, give to the one 
who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So here we have, it's kind of like the infringements on your personal rights. You worked, you put in the time and effort to get money so that you could take care of your family, you could buy things you want, and probably sometimes it's things that you don't really need, but it was your right, you owned it. And now you're gonna have this bum out on the sidewalk, ask me for some money? You're gonna have somebody call me and ask me for help? Why aren't they working? That could be the questions that go through your heart. Jesus is saying, give to the one who begs from you. In other words, don't close your heart to a beggar. Don't shut up the bowels of compassion towards somebody who is in need. Maybe it's somebody that's closer to you, a friend, a brother. I say a brother in Christ, or maybe it's just another person, a neighbor. He also says, don't refuse to let somebody borrow from you. And really, borrowing is often better than simply just giving something to somebody. It does a, it does a few things. If you borrow, then you, the one who's lending, you don't have so much uh, you have less room for pride in your heart saying, well, I've got all this money and I can just be such a blessing to all these people. It helps there. It also brings less shame to the person that's in need. The person who's in need feels like, well, I'm going to earn what I'm getting here. I just need some time to get it back to you. And they don't feel quite as ashamed because of that. It also helps to discourage laziness. Because if somebody's borrowing, they're realizing I have to be industrious. I've got to do something to pay that money back. And oftentimes that can abate so many other evils simply by borrowing. The, the thing is, Jesus doesn't want us to take advantage of people here where we then charge them extra on top for letting us borrow or for letting them borrow from us. We're to just, we're trying to help them. The generosity is the point here. So don't close our heart to a beggar. Don't refuse when people ask to borrow. I've heard many people say, well, then that means if anyone asks, then you just do it. No questions asked. We need to hold on for a minute. We need to balance out all of scripture, even in our giving, just like I was saying before in some of these other things that Jesus was talking about in retaliation and all. We have to look at the scripture as a whole to understand what's going on. And here we need to balance out uh, the, all of scripture, even in our giving. The first responsibility that we have is if we've got family, we need to take care of them first because the scripture in another place, 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives or his family, and especially for a member of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if you're giving to somebody else is going to make it so you can't take care of your family, that's your first responsibility is your family. Then if you are indebted to somebody, if you owe somebody money, then it is not your right to give that money away to somebody else because it rightfully belongs to the person to whom you owe the money. Also, don't give to somebody who's able to work, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Some people have a lazy spirit and just want to do that, even though they're fully capable of working. He said, for even when we were with you, Paul says, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Wow, that's quite a statement. So we need to understand that. If, if our giving is going to enable somebody to be lazy and not work and get on their feet, we shouldn't do that either. And I would remind you also that there is another place in Scripture where there was criteria 
to, as to who were uh, allowed on the widows list where the church would help, they had to be widows indeed, said Paul. And they weren't allowed to get support from the church if they didn't fit certain criteria because they wanted to help people that were widows indeed that really needed help. They didn't want to just give their money out indiscriminately. So we have to have that same kind of a thought, but we can't be stingy. So that is uh, what we are looking at here today. So let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you are personally slighted? What are the thoughts that are going through your head? What is the feeling in your heart towards the people that slight you? Is there revenge inside of your heart? Do you insist on your rights? Would you be quick to take someone to court? How do you respond when people impose on you? They're asking you for money. When they ask for your hard-earned money, what is going on in your mind? What is going on in your heart? What are your actions? Are you guilty in some of these areas that Jesus was warning about? You know, if so, you aren't without hope. You can find hope in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sin and trust in Jesus to save you. He will do that. If you have found that God has talked to you through this, uh, which I have just presented to you through the scriptures, your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Then you can introduce yourself to me. We can set up a time to meet. I'd like to coach and help you further to walk with God. Also, you can like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You will find more teaching and preaching to help you on your journey. You can connect with others that are going through their journeys. You can visit godsresistance.com. There's other resources there for you as well. You can tell your friends about this broadcast, which is every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, and tell them about our social media accounts and get them connected as well. And above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.